Recorded on August 2nd, 2022. Welcome to the Push Ahead Podcast, the podcast that's all about pushing the political conversation ahead, not pushing back. Hi, I'm Jamie. I'm Shelby. And I'm Pamela. And this week, we have a guest, Danelle Dodge, candidate for... Florida's 8th Congressional District. Hello, everybody. Hello. Janelle, welcome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Yep. And today we're here to talk about, again, Danelle Dodge and why it's also important to keep pushing. Not as in giving birth. That's important, too. But yes, first, yes, yes. The only I'm a childbirth educator, if you have any questions this about that. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> All right. First, we got some elephants to clear out. Oh, yes. This is a historical thing. Congress is moving to rebuke the Supreme Court. So historically, the Supreme Court hasn't really aligned with general sentiment. They don't really look at what the general populace wants. They just do their own thing. But there's not much that we as voters can do about it because they have a lifetime term limit. They are nominated for life and they are politically insulated. So there's really short of impeachment which has never happened against never a supreme happened. court justice but should yes it might but realistically there's very little that we can do as voters but there's something that in the past when the supreme court has gotten too radical or too conservative or too far out of line which has happened multiple times multiple occasions in history the way to bring them back into line historically has been for congress or the senate to pass some sort of a rebuke bill that would limit or impact the Supreme Court. Even if these bills never pass, they are a very clear signal that they need to get back in line. And so there's a new bill that the Democrats have put forth that would essentially impose term limits. The mechanics of the bill are that in the first and third year of their presidential term, each president would be able to nominate one Supreme Court justice because this happens every two years. And because there are nine Supreme Court justices, this puts an effective 18-year cap on the Supreme Court justice time that you spend as an active Supreme Court justice. After that, it because it is a lifetime status, you get moved into senior status where... Like an emeriti. Where the most recent senior status Supreme Court would still be called back into the bench if there were any vacancies or if someone had to recuse themselves. So they would still have their post. They would still have their status as lifetime Supreme Court justice. But so they're not going against what's in the Constitution. But legally, they are removed from the bench. And in practice, this would essentially allow Joe Biden to replace Justice Alito with a younger Supreme Court justice. I like it. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Anything How likely do you think it is to happen? I don't expect it to pass. It will pass the House. I don't expect it to pass the Senate. We got one miracle from Manchin this week. Let's not push right. That's going to keep the planet here. But the good news is that this is a signal to Roberts that if he brings up any more milestone cases, because Justice Roberts has the ability to set the docket for each session, if they bring up any additional Supreme Court or any additional cases that could set big precedent, then 
they could dust off this thing and pass it again and then maybe get some support from the Senate. But don't they already have the or have said for the next session that they're going to get some. the yeah, for the legislatures to be able to overturn the elections at the state level, though? Possibly. They've got some big cases. But a signal like this means that they could, might prevent that even coming. Yeah, that this is a very clear signal that they're going to get their wrists slapped. They're going to have their operations disrupted. And that is the only thing that the Supreme Court has has responded to in the past. Yeah, and I think it's about time. And I've actually been really glad to see all of the things that the House has been bringing up and making people come out and say yay or nay on it because it gives us something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Bringing in, putting it on the record, making people officially state their position. Absolutely. Yep. Let's move on to the next one. DeSantis. DeSantis. His Department of Education has issued guidance to schools to disregard federal guidance. I'm just imagine being the teacher. Imagine being the teacher who took a job as a teacher because you want to teach. And today you're like, do I face the chance of being sued or do I face the chance of violating federal law mm-hmm. or do I face the chance of being attacked by my... There is no win for a teacher in this situation yeah. at all. That's why I am not one. Where, to me, I think the DOJ needs to step in and say a lot of these laws that we've been passing here in Florida are unconstitutional and we need some slapback, I think. From the federal level. The problem is that the federal level slapback would come from the Supreme Court. Oh, and they would pass everything. Yeah. We never know if this could open up the door for protections like this to be struck down at the federal level. But this is exactly why I'm not getting my license back. But we haven't gotten to what the guidance was about. So the federal the federal Department of Education passed down guidance to protect LGBTQ rights. And so this is something that maybe not in in direct response to the Stop Woke Act. It is something that does contradict it. And so now DeSantis is putting the teachers in that position of having to fight the federal government. So they are essentially frontline soldiers, unwilling conscripts into this battle that they didn't sign up for. They signed up to teach. And the whole thing about culture wars, continuing the metaphor, Warden needs a battlefield, and Ron DeSantis has decided that our classrooms are appropriate battlefield, and he doesn't care who gets hurt by friendly fire and shrapnel, including our kids, and just because it'll help him get elected. It's disgusting. In that news, a few weeks ago, it came out the guidance for Orange County schools, and they said, no rainbows, no pictures. No. They have reversed that and said, having a picture does not teach right about lgbtq so that's how they're trying to get around it just to that's what mom's liberty is trying to say it is they're saying it's just it's just not teaching however schools are being told my daughter's a kindergarten teacher and scholastic book fairs are up on they may not be having them this year and she has to have all of her books pre-approved that she's had forever yes because apparently danny has two moms or whatever the title is just and she has a book in her kindergarten class, it's a Thanksgiving book. It's kindergarten. So it's all the, it's over the river, through the woods kind of theme. And all the people that are traveling to visit grandma. And one of the members of the family is two dads. And she's, I know that wouldn't be approved, but I'm going to keep it in my classroom until they tell me I can't anyway. Yep. Oh, and yay, I get to rant now. Oh, boy. And so hopefully in November, that elephant will be chased out of the room. So Disney made a move that showed that even though they use the language of inclusiveness, they are no longer pro-tolerance or pro-inclusiveness. Disney, Chappick just came out in a meeting saying that there is no place for politics at Disney. 
that the people going there do not wear their politics on their sleeve, which is false. Hmm. The Trumpies love to run around. But they do literally wear their politics on their their head. Yeah. But if they're going for this middle of the road, middle of the line, yet they say that they're going there for everybody, regardless of race, gender, religion. But you... That in and of itself is politics. Yeah, the statement was something along the lines of in order to preserve the magic for all races and blah, 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 blah. They use the language essentially of, you know, one side that is looking to protect the rights of just about everyone. And it's, no, we need to respect both sides. That so, both sidesism is going to get us. It is. Drive us to hell. Yeah, it is a little bit hard to, if you take a step back to look at that argument and say, okay, we want to preserve the rights and beliefs of this group of people to exist and live a happy life. And we want to preserve the rights and beliefs of this people that want to kill those people. Right. Yeah. So it's like the two sides of the Holocaust. Yeah. I think I get that there was a day that a company could make that as they're driving impetus. They could say no politics in the workforce. And I'm sure stockholders are pressuring them and yada, yada. And they have traditionally corporations have donated to both sides of every political conversation equally. Locally, Harris Corporation donates to the state Republican Party and the state Democratic Party equally. There was a day that I think that was actually a legitimate argument. And I think I hope corporations don't find out too late that day is no longer here. That so much more extinct than anybody's ever. It's no longer just somebody getting elected with a D or an R next to their name. It's really the state of our entire democracy it's basically unfortunately the gop legislators have made these people that are not them targets and by saying that we want to celebrate their stories which is what disney's been all about for the last two years that means that they would take that away not necessarily and I'm not oh. always devil's advocate, but let's see what how it looks like when they're saying politics have a place. Does that mean they'll? I don't think they. I don't think not telling stories is the same thing as no politics. Right. I think no politics is simply saying we're not going to going to. And they, that's dumb because they do lobby for what matters to them. But I don't think that they can really cut that community out because that's their right. employer staff. A lot of the hate and negativity though has trickled down to everything. Everything is political. And I know, like, just trying to run this campaign and get in front of people and talk to people, we have been told, no, we don't want any politics here. And so even we were doing some of the Friday Fest in the different towns and the Vero Beach Friday Fest had so many people running around there screaming and fighting at people dressed in their political garb that they had to say nobody could come. And so when one side is doing it, both sides are punished. And so it's been very difficult for us to mount a good campaign to get in front of large groups of people and it's really hard to knock on eight hundred thousand doors just ask me because you are trying (laughs) i think also more to your point in an agreement that the the one side being loud and noisy and obnoxious and awful and hateful and terrible and mean and and both sides i think that might be the design that might be the Mm -hmm. goal is right yeah because when people say there's no room for politics here politics is literally what keeps your lights on it's what keeps your employment high. It's what keeps for any corporation. Politics is just what makes it all work. And I just hope that they don't realize too late that, that they, it's just not possible. It's not possible. Nobody the size of Disney can follow through on what they said. Disney has made a political announcement that they are going to be apolitical. 
<laughs> and, and they we'll are see looking where through they their go media. in the future. Yeah, it's worth watching. So that is all of our elephants out of the room. And we are here with Danelle. I get to introduce you to Danelle. So Danelle, I never met Danelle until she was running for Congress. And there are, I'm just going to cover a lot of things here. There are a lot of people that fake candidates that are being put into different races. And since the 200 people who are in the DEC didn't know Danelle, the question was, is she a plant? I'm like, you know what? We don't know all 135,000 registered Democrats in our county. She's probably legit. Let's just meet her. I literally said that exact quote to somebody. So it was a pleasure to meet you. And I've watched you grow so much in your race. And I just want to hear. And, and I can vouch. She is not a plant. She is <laughs> a nothing person. leafy and growing. Yeah. Up. <laughs> she, she is not a fern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I know that you I knew just he was going to go there. I know that you said she was growing, but not. Not growing in leaves right. and bounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, That's good. Introduce yourself to our listeners. All right. Yes, I am Danelle Dodge, and I am running for Florida's 8th Congressional District. And I did show up on Pam's doorstep running <laughs> for Congress by tweet, actually. Ashley was the candidate connection person at the time, and she saw my tweet on Twitter. And within, and I have to say, that was quite the surprise to me. I had tweeted it out, and within 45 minutes, I got a tweet saying, hey, or a text, do you want to meet me so we can talk about this. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's real. What did your tweet say? I'm going to run for Congress. Yeah. <laughs> Florida's 8th Congress. You hadn't district. filed. It was just nope, like... Nope, I hadn't filed or anything like that. And and really, over the last several years that we've lived here, we have marched and written letters and made phone calls. And I sat at the table with the Dems at the Biden thing at the library and did different things. I just hadn't gone to a DEC meeting, but I had been doing mm -hmm. other things. And anyway, Bill Posey was a particular thorn in our side, and we were unhappy with his representation. And with his what? With his oh, his lack of representation. <laughs> Thank you. And we would we'd call him like weekly and stuff. And so at one point we were like, "Dude, we're going to get somebody to run." Husband. Yes, me and my husband Andrew. And at one point I was like, "We're going to we're going to run someone against you, or we're going to just back someone. We're going to get you out of office." And then that person ended up being myself. And, and honestly, when I looked to see who was running this time against Bill Posey, my primary opponent, and I felt her platform was bridging the divide. And I feel like in the last five years, it's, we haven't been able to fairly negotiate. Like we go to the table, the Republicans don't come to the table at all, and everything is an obstruction. And, and we one, give everything away. Yes, we give everything away. And I, I want to keep the table and I want to stand up and say enough is enough. And I'm not saying don't negotiate. I'm saying we don't negotiate with people who don't negotiate in good faith. And we had a, a talk the other day on our Florida Today interviews. And my primary opponent said she, we need to find a bar bipartisan solution about Roe v. Wade. That decision has already been made, which was Roe v. Wade. The Republicans got rid of it. And there are certain things that we can't negotiate on. And there are things that we can. And so I just felt like we needed a different voice. And I decided to be that voice. Cool. So was there any one particular thing that made that decision for you? The January 6th was a big thing. And also just Bill Posey in general. And I do have four kids. My four kids are 25 to 29. And they are just making their way in the world. And it's a struggle right now. And all of these things that are going on, we can't, we're just not, we're not doing the things that we need to do to see progress, the climate, the, we're watching these, all these hurricanes and all these different things happening and the threat of losing social security. And just, it's just a compilation of things. And it just all piled up to the point where it was like, this is do or die time. And the 22 
election is do or die time for democracy. And we need people that are willing to stand up and say, enough is enough. We're not going to take this anymore. And we need to fight and we need to advocate and we need to be out there for the things that matter. And that's civil rights. It's human rights. It's voting rights. It's women's rights. And it's the planet, because without all those things, we don't even have a democracy at all. And I am just so impassioned to say that I want to be the voice of all the people. And I grew up in public housing. I was on the free lunch list. I went to college on Pell Grants. I was the first one in my family to go to college. And I know absolutely that my children would not have college degrees. They wouldn't be where they are if I hadn't broken the cycle of poverty. And I've watched as like college has gotten way too expensive. Housing has gotten way too expensive. They have to work really hard to get the things that I had to work really hard too. But we really need to keep the door of opportunity open. And we, if we don't have equality and equity in education and we don't have opportunity in education, we don't have a level playing field. Again, we'll lose democracy. And we're seeing this on the other side where they don't want us to be educated. And they're making it more and more difficult for us to get educated and to pay for an education and things like that. And I'm just really convinced that we need people that are in the community. I'm walking the talk. I'm working with the people. I'm going to all of these things and I'm listening, educating, and I'm going to advocate for people and constituent services to so me. I was about to bring that up. Yeah. I know you talk about that a lot. I do because and I it, think that's critical. It seems to me that you have, as you're, as I'm hearing echoing that you feel like Bill Posey doesn't listen to Brevard County residents. And I really feel like even if all the Brevard County said that they wanted something different than what you believe is important, you would at least listen to them. That's what I hear you saying. Absolutely. Because we have to consider that we don't know everything, obviously. Well, and I do. So oh, you do. Okay, <laughs> oh. she does. I'll call her then if I have questions <laughs> once I'm elected. But Bill Posey said he gave back a million dollars of his office budget to the Treasury. And I'm thinking, okay, so I'm paying taxes, Shelby pays taxes, Pam pays taxes, and our tax dollars aren't going back to use in our community. And there's so many opportunities for things that we could do in our community with a million dollars. And I have to say, as a, I've been a single mom, I've been a military wife for 10 years, and I know how to stretch a dollar. And if you'll be impressed when you look at my campaign financing, how much we've done with us so little. And I that. I'll say that we can get a grant advisor that can help small businesses and nonprofits. We can help people with scholarships. We can be searching for those things and put them out in the community. Just the million dollars that yeah. he gave back could have been spent in our community, hiring people to work on his staff here in Brevard County. Right, I mean, to answer our questions instead of sending the, us a form letter. Or instead of hiring the, a veterans liaison officer that thinks it's appropriate to honor a known war criminal. Yes, that's yeah. lovely. That's Yeah, yeah so, those uh, polls that I keep getting from being on his mail list and oh. you open them up, it's, yeah, you really don't care what we have to yeah, say. Yeah, they're so leading. Not at they're all. They're so leading. Yeah. And he hasn't had a town hall meeting since 2009. He does tell the town halls. But if you have, he gets to screen who's on them. And I've only been in, received the phone call to be on it twice in my entire, let me see, he was first elected in 2008. So since 2008. And if he doesn't like the question, the call gets dropped. I'm, this is not conspiracy theory. This is just reality, folks. So you wanting to really listen to people and constituent services, are, but, but let's go back a minute. I mm -hmm. want you to tell me, you, tell me about you other than... Janelle Dodge, the candidate. I am married for 19 years to my husband, Andrew, and we have our own small business, which is educational technology. 
We create student network accounts and staff network accounts, administrative software for schools. And we've done that for the last 17 years. When we got married, we were a a blended family and we each had two little ones, a boy and a girl each. And they were six, six, seven, and 10. Wow. And we got married and now they're 25 to 29. And people would say, oh, are you going to have an hours baby? And so we said, our business Total Recall is our baby. (laughs) We raised Total Recall for the last 20 years now. And one quirky dog we've got now. Merlin. And I'm a childbirth educator and a doula trained as well. And I was certified to do that and taught at the hospital and in private classes. And I did scholarship program classes for military families. I did mention I was a Navy wife for 10 years and I was stationed with my ex-husband in Guam and Hawaii and Washington state. So I've lived in a lot of different places and I've just done a lot of different things. And I've lived- Yeah, you're the only, the third doula I've ever met in my life. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) being a doula is awesome. There's nothing like- Being at a birth, everyone is different. Every mother is different. And just the advocacy of that and the trust of that is a big deal. And I always felt such a privilege to be invited into that space and to hold space for women and their families. And it's not just the mother. You're there for the father, too, and for whoever shows up at the birth. I've been at birth with 20 people. And you're just there and to support everyone that's in the room. And it's just an incredible honor to to do that work. I worked at the library here, too, as well, at the Cape Canaveral Library as the secretary. I had joined the book club because I didn't know any people in town. And the librarian at the time, she said, I'm looking for a secretary. Does anybody need a job? And I already had our other business job, but I hadn't met people in the community. So I just wanted to meet people. So I'm like, I'm going to get a job at the library to meet people. So I, I worked at the library. Funny, you get a job at the library to meet people that you can't talk to. We, they let us talk at the, in the okay. back of the library. You can um, whisper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we can whisper. Shh, shh. I'm not that I've ever heard that ever, like in my life. I did that till COVID and my husband is disabled and he has some medical issues. And so through COVID, we were unsure of how that would impact his life, our life. So I ended up leaving the library And running for Congress. Yeah. And after COVID kind of settled down, I went back to the library. And so I volunteered with the Friends of the Library, as well as I'm the book club moderator. I'm on hiatus running for Congress because I really couldn't keep up with it and do Congress at the same time. And I sent them an email and they were so polite because I was like, I can't keep up with the quality that you're accustomed to in my book club. So I have to let somebody else do it for a few months until I figure out which way I'm going here. But so, yeah, and I'm just I love my neighbors. We have a wonderful community. I live in Harbor Heights in Cape Canaveral in our two square mile town. And it's just an amazing place. And I'll just tell a really quick story. And that is that when we were going on a trip out of town to a cold place, and we had moved here and got rid of all our cold stuff because we're not very bright. We didn't realize we would still need it here. We might still travel somewhere. Yeah. 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 We ordered ski pants on the internet. And so our ski pants came and they didn't fit. So we're like, oh no, what are we going to do? So we went back on and ordered a bigger size of ski pants. And they were like, they're getting delivered the day you fly out. So I called the post office and I said, hey, if this package is coming today, can you hold it at the post office and we'll drive by and get it on the way to the airport? And they were like, sure, no problem. So we swing by and they're like, oh, no, we put it on the truck. And we're like, oh, no. And they're like, it's okay. We're going to radio the guy and he's going to meet you at the Circle K. And so we went to the Circle K, picked up our pants and went on our trip and everything was cool. So That's small <laughs> Canaveral thing. is awesome. Yeah. And now why your constituent service focused. Yeah. So what do you think the biggest issue facing you as a new congresswoman would be? The biggest issue facing me is probably getting on the ground running. And part of that is always going to be a little bit of a learning curve. I've done many things and managed a lot of different things. So I feel like 
that although that will be a little bit of an issue, it's not going to be an overwhelming problem. I do think that knowing what you don't know is really important, who to talk to. And we're learning that through this campaign, through the people that are helping us with this campaign. And I, I know that a lot of those people and their smarts and their conviction and everything will take us a long way. I do think that getting over the the hump of people to understand what we offer right. is a big goal of mine. And so that the first day everyone says, oh, what are you going to do on your first day? There's 500 and something Sleep. people, 500 something people in Washington, but there's only one District 8 congressperson. So my focus is going to be on our office, how we can get our office set up and off and running immediately to assist people right away with the things. And by the time the two years is up, I want everyone to be so convinced that they made the right decision and that they know that Danelle Dodge is their congressperson, that it's not even really going to be a contest in 2024. So I, speaking of terms and two years, I know you have signed the term limits pledge. How about that? Sure. And so one of the things that I believe is that we really need to be mentoring the next generation to come in. I think that we've had people sitting in Congress for way, way too long and that the whole point of a two-year term originally is so that we have turnover. We have new voices. We have new people that know new technology and new things that are happening. And so my real goal is to honor my term limits pledge and be mentoring people along the way to set up the kind of office that would be such a good example that the next person could come right in, continue that, and then move on to the things that matter to them and to the next generation. I think that our young people and our millennial generation, there's a few around the country. Sam Lawrence in Ohio is one that's running for office. Maxwell Frost here in Orlando, who's 25. And I think that we need... He'd be the youngest... Would he be the youngest congressman? I uh, now I think, but I will say um, Thorne is the youngest. He went at 25, but that's the so Maxwell Frost would be the same age. That's the bottom. That's the youngest you can beat. It yes, you to have be to be a 25. So yeah, so I think that, and I've already talked with some of our other local officials and things about what do you think about that? What's your future goals and things? How do we see things align and whatnot? Because I feel like we're missing that, and even especially in the Democratic Party, we don't have people up and down the ballot. We have all these empty seats. And I know I'm just jumped in and running for Congress, but there's not a lot of other places to, to get in that where people have had that base experience. Yeah, it's hard getting Democrats are historically not patient. Hmm. So we I've never run for office before. I'm going to run for this office. And if I don't win this office, I'm never going to run for anything again. And that's been a challenge for us in Brevard County with and it's disheartening when somebody runs for an office in a district where we're 20,000 in a county district, not even Congress, a fifth of our county, and you're out registered by 20,000 voters. And it's just not, it's a part of, it's like our county commission seats. And for some people, they can run that race and they can bring some issues to conversation and lose and continue to serve their community. But for so many, it's just, they look for who to blame. It's the party's fault they didn't support me enough. It's the my campaign manager's fault. It's never the candidate's fault. Or it's never just the fault of demographics. And that then we lose those talented people. So I'm really committed to building that bench, like you said, from the very bottom up. Just like I'm building our party from the bottom up. I met a guy the other day knocking doors in Cocoa. And he said, look, I'm a Democrat. I'm not going to vote for Republican. I'm never going to vote for Republican. But the Democrats are breaking my heart. And I said, tell me more. And I'm the party chair, right? He said, I said, tell me more. And he talked about the national party. So what we're seeing in Brevard is people are dissatisfied with the national democratic party. And they've all told me that it's not what we're doing locally. It's the messaging coming from the national party. For example, we want to codify Roe. 
We didn't want to codify voting rights. We, when the issue matters to the majority of the Democratic Party, which happen to be people look like me, then we fight for that, but we don't fight for the other. And that, they're not wrong. And I listened to the guy and I said, you are not wrong. Help me get this person elected. It was a school board race. Let's build our party from the ground up here with strong infrastructure so that we can make a difference on the national conversation. I will say, to be honest, it is tricky because the Democratic or the DEC is small, all volunteer and things that we don't have. We really don't as candidates have the support that we need. And it's not to it's, point, it's not to point blame. It's yeah. to say that makes us struggle to want to do it again when you feel like killing yourself and it's not enough. And so I think that there there is that struggle. But I also think that we can, for me, all of the things that I have done, the people I have met, the places I have been and everything, I feel so, I call it hope building when I go out to these places and I talk to these people because, and I'm people say that, oh, you're so, you feel so authentic and things. And it says, because I'm genuinely doing this because I really want to mm-hmm. do something that makes things better. I don't need like the paycheck. I don't need the recognition. I don't even love going on all these things and having to talk to all of these people. Putting myself out there is not like usually what I'm comfortable with. It's more like on, a, on an individual basis. And so when I talk to people one-on-one, I just have the most wonderful conversations and feel really connected to people. I feel like I can connect with people really well. And that's my goal. And I want to do that when they call my office or when they send someone to my office or they need things. I feel like that's my strength. And I feel like you've really visualized yourself winning this seat and what it would look like. Absolutely. You have to, because if you don't, you know, if you're on the defense, you're losing. And I feel like we have to visualize ourselves and yeah, we're having our primary watch party at the Rec 225 in Cocoa Village on August 23rd. So if you want to come and join us. So tomorrow, what's happening tomorrow, Danelle? Oh, yes. We're having the Democratic Women's Club meeting at the Rockledge Gardens. Yes. And that is, what, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. And it's all candidates. All the candidates. For every single Democratic candidate in the county. Was it just Democrats? It's Democratic Women's Club. Anyway, every yeah. candidate was invited from soil and water. We don't have any all the way to Senate. And I know Val Demings is planning to be there for the forum. I know both gubernatorial candidates are either coming or sending representation. And and then you, as our federal congressional candidate and your primary opponent, will both be there. And all of our other, our school boards all the way down will be there. And it's going to be a really packed day. So that's at Rockledge Country Club, right? Country Club. It's the Rockledge Country Club. And then we're going to be out there doing some door knocking and different things and canvassing. So if you want to visit my website at votedodge.com, if you want to sign up to volunteer or you want to donate, of course, we're still raising money to cover all of our literature, our commercials, our yard signs. Go, You can go on there too and order a yard sign or a t-shirt or hit us up for whatever swag. We love to see people out in the community wearing our stuff. Our what do you thing call is the your trailblazers? Team? The trailblazers. Yep, we're the trailblazers. It's on our sleeve, and our we've been out there blazing the trail as much as we possibly can. So it is at the Rockledge Garden Club Banquet Hall, fourteen ninety three South Fisk Boulevard. So that's the next opportunity you have to meet Danelle yourself. It's always a pleasure to chat with her. I can tell you that myself. I learn something every time. So then tomorrow is the candidate forum for our entire county, and then. Your watch party. So talk about a primary. You are actually running for a partisan office. So on August 23rd, when Democratic voters go to select who they want to vote for in the governor's race, who they want to take on Ron DeSantis, who they want to take on Marco Rubio, we all know it's going to be Val. They also get to decide who will take on Bill Posey in the general election. And that's between you and your primary opponent. On August 23rd, 
Yep. So people that have mail ballots, send them today. Absolutely. Go sit on them. Yes. And so early voting is August 13th to the 20th. And then you can vote in any polling place in the county. Yep. And then on your polling on Election Day, the 23rd. You go to the one that's on your voter card. So your precinct that's on your voter card, and it will say where your voting location is. Either one. Yeah. And the other thing is, too, what we've been telling everyone is to get a mail ballot, even if you want to vote in person. And you can still do that until August 13th is the deadline to sign up for a mail-in ballot. And here's the thing. If you get sick or you don't make it to the polls, you can still turn that mail-in ballot in. And if you want to vote in person, you can just take that ballot to the poll with you and hand it in when you vote in person. But what if you got there and there's a two-hour long line and you don't have two hours, too? So you got your mail for backup. So that's just a good backup plan. I know a lot of people, I've had somebody even say to me on the message saying, well, if you're saying that we should vote by mail, you're terrible. I'm not voting for you. And I'm like, dude, this is a backup plan. And I call it voting insurance. Yes. To clarify, though. A polling place will not accept your mail ballot. They will only let you no. render it if you're going to actually vote. If, so you'd have That's to what I meant. take it to the yes, thank you for clarifying. You have to take your mail ballot to a supervisor elections office, not to your polling place. Yes. Because when I voted in person, because my mail ballot got humidity on it and so it was all stuck together. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't open it up and send it back. And so I just took it and turned it in and voted in person. Yeah. And so that's what I meant by that. Yeah. Cool. To make sure everybody knows that you yeah. can surrender your mail ballot yes, and surrender your mail ballot. If you not get turn the it lines in there. too long and you want to, you have to take your mail ballot to a supervisor's election's office. Yeah. And if you choose, I don't ever take my mail ballot with me. I vote in person, but I have my mail ballot. They always say you have a mail ballot. Yes, I do. Do you have it with you? No. They still have to allow you to vote. It's considered a provisional ballot unless they can confirm that you only voted once. Which I think is legit. I could have mailed Except by ballot for the provisional well. ballots, sometimes when there's recounts, don't get counted. They In the recounts, you can always demand that they get counted as a partisan elected candidate. I've been a part of that process with Bill Nelson's race as well as Andrew Gillum's race. I watched them do them. You can. I'm not as trusting. <laughs> you don't have to be as trusting. I was until I was a part of the process. I watched them cure ballots. So you can vote in person with your mail ballot. It's just voter insurance. If you end up getting called into work or you break your leg or there's a hurricane, they're not going to change election plans because there's a hurricane that makes landfall. So it just gives you that opportunity to take care of that. So back to the DEC, challenges with primaries, they're always so hard because we have to be as hands-off as possible. I know that during your race, there's been a few contentious things, and I think you know this. I've never said anything to one that I didn't say to the other as far as any information or anything else. I have casual conversations with both of you. But you're both quality people, both definitely bring different things to the race. What would you say... You've been defined as a more progressive candidate. Would you say that's an appropriate definition? I would. And I think that that's not a bad word. We've been labeled as that's a negative thing to me. Progress. Yeah. Progress is a good thing. (laughs) The funny thing is we started progressive because liberal was a bad word. It doesn't matter what we call ourselves. If we want to call ourselves the Yeti group or whatever, then that's going to be a bad word. So we we let them define us. We need to take back our, our words and be proud of who we are and what we stand for. And to me, progress on the climate is critical and progress moving forward. One party is trying to take us back 50 years and one party is trying to save democracy. So that's where you have to make your decision. Yeah, I don't see a whole lot of room for compromise, especially with the climate living here. Like we just we can't. So I appreciate that. That's the whole point of this podcast is pushing ahead and not letting people push us into a corner and define us. So thank you for that. Anything else you want to add? Um, vote What's for your website? Dodge. Oh. <laughs> My website, I did mention that earlier, is votedodge.com. And I, like I said, I invite you all to check it out. Check out our upcoming events. We got a lot of things going on between now. We've only got 20, what is it, 21 days left? Or three weeks from when we recorded. 
Yes. Yes. And I have to say, since I got into the race officially in February, it seems like February was last week. It's just going by so fast. And every day is an amazingly busy day. And but I'll say I've just met the most incredible people. And whatever happens moving forward, I am so proud to be part of this community and all of the people that have worked with me and on my campaign. And I know there are a lot of things that can still be done regardless of the outcome. And I plan to be part of those things. I believe that. I know I've definitely seen you enmeshed in the community and everywhere I look, I feel like I see, and I don't even feel like I see you there campaigning as much as just supporting your community. That's part of why we didn't actually get all of the petitions besides the fact that we got into the race a little bit later. And that was because we got to the point where I would be at these events and I felt like here I am, they just met me and I'm pushing these things on them. I I need something from them. And I wanted to be able to talk to them as a person and have a conversation. And so we did the best we could with the time we had, but it just seemed to me that the conversation was more important at the time. So instead you paid the filing fee. Yes, we paid the filing fee. Cool. I appreciate you being here tonight too, Danelle, so much. And we're going to move on to another topic. Well, thanks for having to me. In. Okay, I'll participate. You're, you're yep. super smart and we love everything you have right. to say. <laughs> this is some analysis from me of a different sort. So you mentioned working with the community. You mentioned getting out there and talking to people. And one of the things that I see when I engage in political conversations is that there's this feeling of like hopelessness and despair and that nothing's getting done. The world is burning. The climate is changing. We're getting hit by superstorms. California is on fire in the fastest growing wildfire that they've ever seen right now. The at, world at is coming. Yeah. And the Supreme Court is trying to take us back to the Middle Ages and government isn't able to pass anything. And every time you read the news, every time you turn on the TV, it's all doom and gloom. It's all hopelessness and despair. But I wanted to take some time and I wanted to report on why it is important to keep pushing forward. A lot of people showed up in force in 2020 for the 2020 election. We won the House. We won a tiny majority in the Senate, a 51-50 majority of the Senate, and we have the presidency. And so if you listen to the other side, if you believe the mainstream media, then they haven't managed to move the chains at all. They haven't managed to move forward. But this is what we've gotten for showing up in force, and this is why it is far more important to continue this, to show up in this year's election, because if we keep the House, then we can continue to move forward. We can continue to get these forward momentum and just move the needle. But if we believe the doom and gloom people are saying, we won't keep the House. Yeah. And also that's what sells news. Yeah. It's important to not despair. It's important to not lose hope. But it's also important to not say, oh, look at us. We're so awesome because we've won. So this isn't me saying... We've gotten everything that we hope for. The Supreme Court is still super wonky. The climate is still changing. Nice way to the filibuster is still you, in effect. Before you get into some of these, I'm going to segue for a little bit because, Danelle, every time I look at you, I definitely see a person who's hopeful yeah. in everything you do. Like you, you just live hope. So that is a perfect, your perfect guest for us in this t- topic tonight. And locally, I had somebody actually ask me, why Democrats, Brevard Democrats, were celebrating in 2020 when we lost so many races. And he was thinking of one countywide race, which was the long shot to begin with. I'm like, we won a school board race, which we have not had a Democrat on the school board. Cheryl McDougal is a Democrat on the school board, but in a long time. And if we hadn't had, thank God we won that school board race, because if we hadn't, masking our students would have been a very different conversation. Every conversation we've had protecting LGBTQ students would have been a different conversation without that race. We also 
doubled our presence in municipal seats in four years in Brevard County. That's double the presence of Democrats and city councils. That's half of the influence of Republican lawmakers like Randy Fine. He doesn't have the Republicans in some of our city councils where we have a majority that he can pull his strings and get the response that he wants. So some of these people look at the fact that we're not fielding candidates in every race or that we didn't win every race. What we won is way more than anybody expected. It's progress. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's way more than, which is, by the way, why the Republicans have made it so difficult here now. They were totally willing to ignore Brevard Democrats before that because we were just this cute little thing. So it's the same thing with this. It's when we fight back or when we fight forward, we've got a lot to celebrate. So go ahead. Yeah. But before people who are doom and gloom look at me and they're like, how can you be so hopeful? I'm like, because I have to be. Yeah. I can't live like saying that the world's falling down. I have to hope that we can make the change. So this is, I have in front of me an outline. I have a page and a half of good things. And these aren't, this is a taste of victory. This isn't, we've had our fill. So we need to keep pushing. And something that happened independent. So when people who are passionate, people who are smart, people who are organized get together, they can start to make movement. In the past couple of years, workers' rights have seen a resurgence as unions, over 200 Starbucks locations and multiple Amazon warehouse locations have unionized. And this is a signal that either they need to start treating their employees better or their employees are going to organize and then demand better treatment. Let's talk about good things that you can, I don't know, maybe rub the GOP's face. Oh, you your do. union busting is yeah, not. But they're like, oh, union jobs. They're not as good. Want to talk about jobs? There are two jobs out there for every job applicant. The economy is healthy. There's a lot of demand for positions that want to pay people. We'll see if they pay people well or not, but there's historically low potential for unemployment. Anybody who wants a job could have one. That is, to the GOP, the American dream. And you can anyone who can work. Except they don't like the fact that people don't want to work for peanuts. Yeah, for peanuts. <laughs> but that goes back to the unionization, where people right. are able to join unionized uh, cooperative bargaining. We had the glorious 1950s. Unions made the 50s. Right. And we just had a little tangent about poor paying jobs. But the thing is, the truth of the matter is that for people who change jobs over the past couple years... Their real income and real earnings have risen 10%. So workers are taking back the choice, even if they're not joining union gigs, they're getting paid better. And the fact that unions, even if you don't have a union shop, unions having some power are helping non-unionized shop just Yes. And well, there's so many things that unions have given us as workers. And I think work that, week. yeah, our millennial workers are figuring that out. And there's no reason why that all the corporations have big lawyers and people that are standing up for them and making sure that they're getting what they want out right. of it. And workers should too. Yeah. They should have a seat at the table. If unions were really that self-evidentially bad, then why do big corporations and why does the media spend so much time and effort painting them in a bad light? And what if unions weren't needed, then they wouldn't be there. But the reality is the corporations will always put their profits before people. And the unions have to be there to remind people that people matter. And I don't know about current history, but when I was teaching history, there was a whole darn chapter. And I taught world history about people unionizing and people demanding fairer treatment. Whole chapter. Well, of, not even fair treatment. They just, maybe we don't need to work for 12 hours when you're 10. Be, yeah, be, yeah, exactly. Being treated oh, like human on. beings. Yeah. yeah. Suck it up. And <laughs> yeah. And so between the workers' rights and the increase in wages, 
there's been an interesting news story drop off. And so if you've been paying attention to the headlines as a millennial, I like to, as a hobby, keep track of what industries we're killing. The diamond industry and the styrofoam cup industry and this industry and that industry all being killed by the millennials. Y'all are so powerful. Yeah. But there were also competing headlines. Five years ago, you couldn't pick up any newspaper that mentioned finances without reading about how the millennials were the poorest generation. But over the past five years... Good news for us. Millennials have have picked up twice the amount of wealth. So they are twice as rich as they were five years ago. So they are fine. We millennials are our generation is finally getting a bite at the American dream. And that's a combination of the ability to buy houses. And also the student debt payments have had or the student debt payment pauses have had a huge impact because that money hasn't been siphoned out just paying down interest. It's actually been gone into wealth building. And, and it's also gone into economy building because yes. they spend you, money. Yeah. Yeah. They spend lots of money. Man. Yeah. It's less tight. They're not having was. to pay back their loans right now. As an aside, <laughs> the Biden administration is working with the Department of Education. I saw this last night that they are working to erase 10 grand in student loan debt. And that awesome. is a and that is a promise that he made. If everyone's. Oh, I thought he was going to kill all debt no that's never what he said no he didn't say that he did but it is a step yeah. in the right direction again well, a it little... honestly wouldn't do our country a whole lot of good to erase all student loan debt just to take on more federal debt but chopping away at it is a start right and and we again how to get the money out and of then the passing some ever. legislator to stop all of these crazy loan amounts right. where you borrowed $25,000 and you end up paying $100,000. Yeah, predatory student loans have to be addressed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things is that the interest rates are really high. I know when I got student loans, the interest rate was like 1%. Yeah. And now my kids have student loans that are 6 and 8%. And also it's affecting their parents' generation. So the Generation X parents that have kids that went to college, a lot of them had to sign co-sign for these student loans Heck and they're yeah. never allowed to file bankruptcy on these student loans so it's going to affect multiple generations yeah our senior citizens debt. are now saddled with student loans. absolutely yeah. yeah that's wrong and again the student loan forgiveness is a little taste of victory a little win but there's still more work to be done sure it's not all hopeless but also we haven't won everything and it's not time for a victory lap which means keep working. Keep working. Yes. And the outlook for the midterms is looking a little bit grim right now, especially in the House. That's what the news is. I saw CNN put Republican insiders and consultants see House as all but a win. And I'm like, no. I you put that stuff out there. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think we have to turn off that noise and say to ourselves, because I know here in District 8 with the redistricting, we were a plus red 23 and now we're a plus red 11. And we're actually a purple district because we have we don't have more than 50% Republicans in this district. And so we just need to talk to people and we need to talk to those NPAs and the people that maybe don't know that Bill Posey yelled, let's go Brandon on the House floor or that he voted to overturn the election after twice, twice before and after the attack on the Capitol. Has anyone asked him in the recent years, if he believes that the election was stolen. He does believe it was stolen. He's still proudly endorsed by Donald Trump. If you go to his website, it's on the front page. Oh, yeah. He liked to parade around in his Donald Trump T-shirt. Yes. And he still and the other thing is he even signed on to the lawsuit that Texas had to overturn the elections in Georgia, Wisconsin, Arizona. Wow. Someone from Florida signing on to a Texas lawsuit to 
Okay. Anyway. Everywhere but here. Let's not overturn him here because then I'm not elected, says Bill Posey. Anyway, sorry to go negative. (laughs) But here's the point. There's two things that you can do with this scenario that we're countering. You can say we'll never win the midterms and so let's not vote. Or you can say they think we won't win the midterms. We will show. Absolutely. Okay. But the thing is, so the way that I like to tell stories is it starts off bad and then there's a punchline. So again, the midterms aren't all rosy as we called out, but... The thing is, the models are improving as we get closer. So the races will get closer as the primaries shore up and as the messaging happens and as people start paying attention to politics, then we normally see numbers start to shift. And that has already happened. One of the models that I saw was that a couple weeks ago, the 11 times out of 100, the Democrats won the House majority. Now it's up to 17, which is significant movement. It's not non-zero, but hey, we still need to push the needle. We still need to continue to fight. We're also proving how effective we are in that fight because Republicans today backpedaled and changed their vote on the PACE Act. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because of back, back. they threw a hissy fit because of the mansion deal. And they decided to lash out and punish people. And those ended up being vets. And when people say support our troops and they actually mean it, they mean, hey, let's support our vets, too. I'm looking at you, Rick Scott. Yep. So we show that we are effective in making those changes happen. We can certainly be effective in getting people elected. And there's also hope because look at the voter registration numbers of Kansas and Missouri. 600 percent up. Yeah. I think Kansas was 447% up in new voter registration. Oh. Yeah. So there is hope out there. We are going to see this week, Kansas is publicly voting on keeping abortion legal or illegal. We will see those results this week. We were looking like we were going to flip our three governor's seats to Democrat as well. Right. In the yeah. I'm liking the odds right now. Wisconsin, the polls show the opponent of Ron Johnson is leading. And I would personally love to get Ron Johnson out because he says a lot of BS. And they're also just like this whole doom and gloom thing, the whole culture war issue. I'm going to tell you the GOP is reading the room wrong. Jennifer Jenkins won her race in a very red county and a very red district by being pro-science against somebody who was a culture warrior. And in Georgia, they ran the Republicans are running Herschel Walker, who is... I'm sorry, he's had a few too many bumps to the head in his football career. They've run this candidate because he's so far right. And basically, in my opinion, they're handing the Senate. They're uh, handing to Warnock. To Warnock. Yeah. Right. So they're reading the room wrong. I think God, most I people so. agree with us. Right. And another thing that people are saying is that Biden is he doesn't have a net positive approval rating. He's lagging in the polls. But I love your butts, Jamie. Yeah, I do. I got it. I got some nice butts. <laughs> but. Everything I'm reading is that the down ballot races aren't dependent on Biden's popularity because under the Biden administration, he isn't going out ruthlessly self-promoting, talking about the wins. He's letting these down ballot wins show up as, oh, look at what the Senate did. Oh, look at what the House did. And but these are still Biden's wins. Let's talk about these a little bit. I'm not the Biden fan club over here, but let's talk about some progress that we've had because Trump wasn't in office. The bipartisan infrastructure deal? I was going to start with the Chips and Science Act. Okay. $280 billion, which Biden either will sign soon or has already signed, will simultaneously... Fix the supply chain. Yes, fix the supply chain and start building or rebuilding domestic chip manufacturing. 
I do think, though, that when we are giving this large sums of money to corporations that do make a lot of money, that we need to be getting that back. So say we invest in that company and they sure it's in process. the process. Oh, I'm sure it is not. Accountability. But yeah, we need accountability. Yeah. And we've seen this over and over again where we give corporations all this money and tax breaks and they're not paying their fair share. And I'm excited about bringing manufacturing back and doing all these things. But I think we need to hold them accountable to put that money back into right. The United States as well when they've reaped the rewards of the government investment. Because, yes. Like pharmaceutical research. We, as a government, invest heavily in pharmaceutical research. The companies then charge our citizens bazillion dollars for the pills that they give for free around the world. If we get the Inflation Act in reconciliation, there are provisions in there to take that down to make prescription drugs more affordable. Cinema, please. I'm sure she listens. Yep. <laughs> it's right. back to your celebration yes. of bikes. Yep, yep. So another big win. I think we've spoken about it. Joe Manchin, he has been the Democratic Party boogeyman. And we've ha- talked about him a few times on our podcast. We have. He, he's our favorite dino because yes. we don't like cinema. Who might end up spoiling this deal. But Manchin and Schumer negotiated a an inflation and climate change bill. So Manchin said, I'm not going to back this agenda because we need to deal with inflation. And so he and Schumer got together and built an inflation package that also addresses climate, climate change. Yeah. It's a start. It's a start. It's an awesome start. It's not even a tiny start. I mean, it's an awesome start. Oh, it's a very awesome start. It's the be- it, what the most money we've invested into climate change right. ever. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's a fraction of the Build Back Better plan. We need to pass the rest of it. It's Joe Manchin's favorite pieces of the Build Back Better plan, but we need to pass more. Yes. So we need to make sure we people to Congress and the Senate. Yep. Yep. Anybody anybody in mind there? Yeah. Danelle Dodge. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Yep. That's what I tell people who don't understand how government works, because people just look at the news, assume that's what it is. Why doesn't Biden do everything? Well, Congress has more power. Exactly. I am in the middle of convincing a friend who said, oh, I think Trump would have done a better job. I'm like, honey. Biden is in chains right now on the whim of the Senate. So look where you need to look where the power balance is right now. So if you give Biden what he needs, an actual majority to get over the filibuster, watch what happens. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's reach back a little bit further. The infrastructure bill, which passed what earlier this year, or late year. that was a big win. But let's not let people forget about it. Because it wasn't the biggest win we could have had. We could have had Build Back Better, but instead we got this. There's still more we need to ask for, but it's not nothing. And even that bill, though. Ron DeSantis recently spread a lot of that money around the state and tried to take credit for it. Yeah. All Republicans, legislative, constantly do do it. And then they take credit for it. Mm -hmm. And that'll be coming to a gas pump near you with the October gas tax holiday that is from actually... Joe Biden. So you can thank Joe Biden for the gas tax holiday in October in Florida. Yeah. (laughs) Although, speaking of gas, electric vehicle manufacturing is way up. It's really good. Yeah. And the best thing, I saw a report today that Florida is in the top five states nationwide for ownership of electric vehicles by, by raw count. So there are more electric vehicles driving around in California and I think Texas. But we're still in the top five. How many good things can we be in the top five for? It is, hey, electric vehicles. Yeah. I drive electric. 
Yay. Yay! That's yes. a good thing to be in the top five for. It is. I mean, we're in the, the bottom three for spending on education, but I love that we're in the top five for owning electric vehicles. Yeah, so it is, it is a good sign. Again, a lot of progress. We need to yeah. put a lot more electric vehicles and a lot more driveways to really drive the needle. The well, unanticipated okay. consequence of having gas so high, this is what happened in 2008 when gas was huge. We had a an explosion of research into alternative energy. So while, yes, I hate paying as much as I am filling up my van, we're getting we're going to see some of the benefits by having better electric, more stable. One of the things is really critical is the infrastructure for electric charging. I actually started driving electric in 2014 with a Nissan Leaf. Mm-hmm. We had leased a Leaf and it didn't have as much distance and things. But the infrastructure wasn't there for just pulling up and charging like you can with a Tesla, right. which we drive now. And so we need better infrastructure. We need the ability to go right up and like swipe and stuff. The way that they have it set up for charging is more difficult if it's not a Tesla. But we need to look at the grids, though, too, like in Texas, their grid, our grid. So that's another infrastructure thing. If we're going to put all these electric vehicles out there, we have to have the electric grid to support that. Yeah. So to summarize some of our wins that do not mean we get to take a break. So we've made it past the start line. The finish line is still off in the distance. But we're making progress. Yeah, we cannot. And I think that's part of the part of what got us here is we Democrats, we elected Barack Obama and we met by common sense kumbaya. We're like, life is good. Everybody's going to get along now. We didn't pay attention to the fact that wasn't what was happening. So we cannot stop paying attention. We can't. We have to stay woke on everything. Mm -hmm. So the Chips and Science Act, the, the plan negotiated for our climate and the Inflation Reduction Act. And Schumer did signal that he and McConnell had come to a deal on the burn pit. The infrastructure that happened today, the infrastructure bill and the vaccine supply chain. Did you even talk about that? No, no, it is, though. I skipped it. Yeah. So the Biden administration said it'll add three billion to the vaccine supply chain, which creates jobs domestically because it's not like we're importing vaccines. And so these are vaccines where they need to be faster to everything. And the supply chain, because if you are faced with disaster fatigue like I am, I heard monkeypox and was like, oh, no, not another one. And then we're hearing about polio and it's like, what? No. Who ordered the greatest hits album? (laughs) And we need vaccines because, again, just because you might have made it through COVID and we're not walking around with masks, it doesn't mean that the viruses aren't out there. And it doesn't mean that vaccines aren't still hard to come by. Yeah. How much is he putting into that? $3 $3 billion. $3 billion into vaccine supply chain. So that's cool. Electric vehicle manufacturing. So lots of baby steps towards huge celebrations. We can ha- take a happy dance, not a full victory lap, but we can do a happy dance mm-hmm. for a moment. But think how much tomorrow. that is in just two years. Yeah. Think about because if you look at all of the cyclical turnaround between Democrats right. and Republicans, and so we get crap dropped in our lap then we have to fix it. We're told, oh, now the deficit matters. Now we have to be bipartisan. When the Republicans are in charge, they don't feel the same way. And they run up the deficit, giving themselves tax rebates and all this kind of stuff. And then it falls back onto the Democrats to fix it all. And then when the Republicans force us into sequestration and to all these things that strap everything down, then they say, aha, it's the Democrats fault. So we really need to look at that cycle and say to ourselves, if we really could keep continuity of Democrats in power in the White House, then we could actually accomplish our goals. Yes, because we will be done cleaning up messes of the Republican leadership. Yes. Speaking of, again, more work and keeping Democrats in power, 
Pam, what do we got going on? <laughs> so we have the candidate forum tomorrow at, in Rockledge Garden Club. Thank you for pointing that out. I had I would have gone to the wrong place. And we are doing Chasing Mail Ballots. It has a mail ballot. We're really good at getting mail ballots in the hands of our voters. And we are currently... As we're focused on our school board races, we are chasing those mail ballots by phone bank. And I will tell you, so we are currently in school board district one. We are lagging in that with our mail ballot returns. So mail ballots, we can't see how anybody voted. We can see the party of the person that cast their vote. And school board district one, 1,192 Democrats have returned their mail ballot and 1,322 Republicans. So... I don't like those numbers. I'm, there's a good chance that a lot of those Republicans voted for Misty Belford, but maybe not. I just assume get more Democrats getting their mail ballots returned. And in District 2, we are up. But District 2, if you remember, we have to get 50% plus one. So right now, 3,140 mail ballots have been returned. And of those, 1,458 are Democrats. Again, I'm pretty sure a lot of Republicans voted for Aaron because they don't like this book banning crap any more than anybody else. But I don't want to count on it. So... We need but help driving those mail ballots. When in. you say 50 plus one, you mean 50.01. As long 50% as you plus one vote. Yes. Not even 50.01, 50% right. plus one. That's because someone was saying, oh, if we get 51%, I'm like, nope. no, if 50% we get... plus one vote. Yes. School board district five, three, 1,363 Democrats have returned their mail ballot and 1,204. I don't like that. That's not a wide enough gap for me. So we are running phone banks. I'm reminding people that have mail ballots to return their mail ballots right away. So that is the biggest issue for us right now. If you're looking for something to do and you want to stay air conditioned, I, I far prefer you be talking to people at the doors. It's way more fun. Shelby has some conversations that she never would. She did a great job knocking doors with me last weekend. I know I'm so proud. She actually, I didn't have to kick her out of the car. She just jumped out a couple of times, but the phone bank is essential. And you can do that from anywhere. If you're listening to this in Kansas, you can phone bank for our candidates contact us through our email and or go to brevarddems.org and you'll find our events there. Yeah. And we will be, mark your calendar now, August 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st. We will be dropping door hangers for Democratic voters and left-leaning NPA voters to remind them to vote in the primary on the 23rd. It's not the kind of thing that we can say, oh, if we don't finish, we can do it tomorrow because tomorrow is the election. So we've got to get these mail ballot, these door hangers out. It's not optional. And there are about 60,000 in our county that we will be, just in our school board races, that we will be delivering those. So mark your calendar now. Go to brevarddems.org and sign up for one of our GOTV efforts. Shelby, who swore she never would knock a door, tell you that's what you were doing with me for mail ballots, and your head never exploded. I volunteered to drive Pam around, and she ended up driving, and I ended up going around and dropping the door hangers. Well, thank you. And I want to thank every single person that has hang a door hanger, knocked on a door, made a phone call, stood at a table, registered voters. We've been out there with you, but it takes a lot more people and it takes an army to make this stuff happen. It doesn't happen overnight. And Pam is a volunteer. Most of these people are volunteers. They're not getting paid. Nobody's paying me to run. I'm paying to run, actually. And But I'm doing that for you, for the people and to try to make it better for all of us. But I do appreciate so much every single person that has contributed to my campaign and participated in any way in, the, in, in all of the things that have happened between now and when I started running and even before that. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear that because you are one of the things that keeps me awake at night. Literally, my friends can tell you when I steering committee is always like, 
you just sent us a text at 3.30. (laughs) I'm like, yes, but this is, we have to take care of this for whatever race that is. So thank you. It's good to get that feedback. And although we are focused on school board, it is certainly promoting all of our primaries, which includes Donnell as well. And the last thing you can do is vote early, vote by mail, vote early, vote on election day, vote. Everybody, make sure you email us at pushaheadpod at gmail.com. We haven't gotten any emails for a while. Jamie's lonely. It's like tumbleweeds in the email. So send us an email. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Shelby. And thank you, Danelle. Thank you. If you got something out of this and know of anybody who cares about what we're saying here, please share. Word of mouth is everything in the grassroots game. If we're awesome, tell a friend. If we're not, tell us how to get better. This has been another episode of the Push Ahead podcast. Please reach out to us via Twitter at push underscore ahead or subscribe to our podcast in your podcatcher of choice. You can find relevant links to the stories that we're talking about in our liner notes on our website at pushaheadpod.com. The music is Super String Theory by Lobo Loco. 